praise the Lord. Good morning. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 40. And a leper came to him, begging him on his knees, and saying to him, If you are willing, you are able to make me clean. And being moved with pity and sympathy, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be made clean. I am willing, be made clean. Hallelujah. Jesus didn't come into the world so that we would know what God was able to do. Jesus didn't come as a manifestation of God's abilities. But Jesus came so we'd know what God was willing to do not just what God's able to do. The revelation of God never stops with his abilities. God always goes beyond showing mankind what he's able to do, and he shows us what he wants to do. Jesus is the manifestation of what God wants to do. Jesus is God willing. You know, people always use that term. Well, God willing. Jesus is God willing. Even among Christians, there's such confusion sometimes about what God is willing to do. But Jesus manifests the willingness of God, not just the ability of God. So God doesn't stop with his abilities. He came into this world to show us his willingness. Somebody say praise the Lord. Jesus isn't about what God can do. He's about what God will do. He's about what God is doing. When you read in the Gospels, you're not just reading Peter's story. You're reading your story. I got saved as an atheist. And as an atheist, I had never opened a Bible. Isn't it funny you decide to disbelieve what what you don't know anything about? I decided... the. I decided the the story of Jesus was nonsense, and I had no idea what the story of Jesus was. You know, that is the nature of sin. It does make you oddly ignorant. Um, And so I was much, I was oddly ignorant. But um, I remember when I did first open a Bible and start to read it. Of course, I started in the gospel. Someone had told me, well, um, you know, you need to begin in John, or that's, I think I started in Matthew, and um, as I would read those stories, as a newborn babe in Christ, as a Christian, having the Holy Spirit living within me, I felt that I was reading my, what do you call it, journal. I was reading the journal of my life. That was me. I insinuated myself. Because I know that what Jesus was doing, recorded in the Gospels, is what he's doing today. I knew as a young believer that was a revelation of the will of God, not just a story of the abilities of God. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and then... Jesus went about doing good and healing all 
who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I love that verse. Jesus is anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, and at 29 and a half years old, he is presented to the public with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Do you realize that after Jesus has the experience coming up out of the river Jordan where John had baptized him, he is the Word of God made flesh. He is the eternal Father manifest in the world as the Son. For he says to Philip in John's Gospel, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I don't think that when we go to heaven, we're going to see an old man, a carpenter, and a little bird flying around. Um, Jesus said, if you've seen me, Colossians says, in him is manifest all the fullness of the Godhead. Jesus was the full revelation of the character and the willingness of Almighty God. You don't need to be pushing him aside and try to see the other side of God. Jesus is all the sides of God, revealed, hallelujah, revealed. And so when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're reading the will of God for your life. We're reading about the answer for the world today. The riots in the streets, angry people, the killings, the confusion, all that is happening as the world is erupting. It's a war, but it is a war of sin. I wouldn't call it a revolution, civil war, or World War III. It's called the war of sin. That's exactly what it is. It's sin on parade. It's sin warring and struggling and striving. It is the human race fighting with itself. And you know what? Good. Good. Because Jesus wins the war on sin. He's the answer to the war on sin. Can you say amen? Why is he the answer? When Jesus at 29 and a half years old, he is the Word made flesh, he is the eternal God, comes out of, the, out of the river, John's baptized him, and the symbol of the dove comes upon him, and heaven opens and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He is the gift of sonship being offered to the world. And at that moment, and from that moment forward, everywhere Jesus went, demons recognized him. He'd go into a synagogue. Anybody possessed of demons start screaming and would just start flipping out. And uh, he'd go out in public. And people that were oppressed of the devil would, would start raving and lunatics would go mad. And, and uh, all kinds of reactions would take place because Jesus would stride through the crowds of people. And people were healed and delivered. The Bible says we know how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Well, God in Jesus was manifest to heal and to bring you his goodness. The will of God is manifest in Jesus. If we want to know what God's will is for our lives, we have only to see Jesus. Because Jesus is not the manifestation of God's ability only. Even more than that, he is the manifestation of God's willingness. For God so loved the world, the Bible says, 
that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus was all about God giving his love to you and I. That's the will of God in manifestation. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, there's a story of the father that has the son who has obviously some epileptic condition. And uh, in Mark's Gospel, they said he had a spirit. King James calls it a deaf and dumb spirit or a spirit that didn't allow him to communicate and had a grip on his mind and had a grip on his body. And so uh, he was having a fit and uh, the, the boy was having some sort of convulsive fit and uh, that spirit was rising up within him. And when he calmed down, Jesus says to the father, calls him over and, and says, um, how long has he been like this? And I want to pick up the story there. Jesus says, how long has this been happening? Jesus asks the father of the boy. And the father replies, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Jesus responds, what do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I've always loved that story. A lot of people misunderstand that story, and they think that Jesus is talking about the technology of faith. If you really can't bring yourself to absolutely believe that God is able to drive that spirit that's had your boy since he came into the world, drive him out. If you can't bring your mind to a place where, oh, you can easily see that happening, you can believe that happening, then, uh, then uh, you know, nothing's going to be possible to you. But if you can believe that that can happen, then it's possible. But that is not the faith that Jesus was encouraging the Father to have. When Jesus said to the Father, what do you mean if, if I can do anything? I can do everything. All things are possible. If you believe, the thing that Jesus was pulling on that dad's heart to believe was not how it could happen, but does God want it to happen? It was faith that Jesus wanted that father's boy to be healed that, that opened the way to his deliverance. You see, when the man saw God in Jesus saying, I will, everyone say that with me, I will. I will. The leper says, Lord, you, you can heal me if you will. And Jesus reaches out and puts his hands on him and he says, what? I will. I am willing. I will. He's been waiting for you to ask him. Because the answer of God in Jesus is I will. And so when the father saw Jesus speak to the spirit in his boy and say, I command you, come out of him. Hold your peace and come out of him. And the boy was completely delivered and set free. The father at that point, was cured of his unbelief. Amen. Why? Because he saw Jesus' will. He saw that God is willing. The thing that holds us back is that we have a hard time believing God is willing. We know he's able. Why, we're willing to rejoice over testimonies that we see in other people's lives. But when it comes to us, we always somehow, even if it's just in the back of our mind, 
see ourselves as somewhat disqualified. I know God's able, but I don't know if he is able to bless me. I don't know if he's able to do that in my life. I know that so far as ability goes, God could heal me. God could deliver me. The Lord could save me. Listen, there are sinners out there listening to this message right now. Unsaved people, people who have been standing on the fence and uh, thinking about Jesus, but they're they just say within themselves, there's something that constantly holds it back, and I've watched it for years. It holds them back, and they think, I'm not the kind of person God wants. God can't really do anything in my life. I've done too much. I've messed myself up. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just too hard-hearted. And people keep themselves because they don't know the willingness of God. I don't know if God will accept me, but Jesus is reaching out just like he did to the leper and he's saying, I will, I will be made whole. I will come. I will make you a fisher of men. Come on, don't worry about it. Amen? Walk with me. I will. So when that man saw Jesus heal his son, his unbelief, was cured because he knew, now I know that God loves me. I know that even though I have doubts and unbelief, he is still willing to work. Isn't that awesome? We have thought for years, well, if I have doubts in my mind, I'm not going to get the answer to my prayer. And we see it as a technology. But that isn't so. Your prayers aren't answered because your faith is so technologically accurate based on all the right scriptures that it's like an equation. You've, you have uh, submitted the right formula and you're going to get the right answer. There is a God in heaven, our heavenly father, manifest as the son to you and I so we could relate with him and receive him. Hallelujah. Know that we've received a, a big brother, if you will, and it's made us one with the father. He has brought us into harmony and fellowship with the father. We're in God's forever family. And so we know that our prayers are answered because He loves us. Because He, you know, before Jesus ever went to the cross, before He even came into the world, God loved us. His plan was to be Jesus 2,000 years ago at the perfect time to come into human history. His plan from the beginning, love planned that. Jesus answered to everything through the Gospels is, I will. Wherever hearts were inquiring, I will. And he is pulling on you this morning. And he is uh, um, asking you if you will let him show that he is willing to bless you. God is moved not when we believe that he's able to help us, but when we believe that he wants to help us. Think about it. Do you believe God wants to heal you? Do you believe God wants to save you? Do you believe God wants to lift you up? Do you believe God wants to see you through trouble? Do you believe that Jesus wants to comfort you? Because whatever it is in our heart or in our mind that keeps us from believing that he is looking right into your soul and saying, I will. I remember many years ago, I would run into Christians 
after I started learning what the Bible said and walking with the Lord and finding out more about this wonderful God who loved me, um, I remember thinking, because I would hear Christians talk about, well, you know, I don't think that it's God's will, um, you know, to, to, uh, to, and they would always say, to either heal this person, or how do you know it's God's will um, to, to deliver this individual, or how do you know that God's will is to, um, is to raise somebody up? Well, and I would always get to the point where I could answer that question, not theologically between them and me, because I don't know about them. I, I don't know about their life. What I do know is, I know he loves me, so if he ain't going to heal anyone else, he's going to heal me. That, when, I, when I saw Jesus in his love for me saying, I will, I didn't have to worry about whether, you know, where anyone else was in their mind and heart. I just know where he is in my life. And we need to know that Jesus is saying to us, I will, because you know that he loves you. So God is moved when we believe, not that he's able, as I said, but that he wants to help us. And he wants to help you. He is knocking at the door. All those verses that we use and we read, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why is he standing there knocking at the door? How long has he been there knocking at the door? You keep jumping in your car and going here and going there. You get involved with this group and that group. You go through all the changes in life. Jesus, yet he's still there knocking at the door. As you go through all of your changes, in and out of marriages, in and out of jobs, changing your personality and, and uh, changing your story like some people change clothes. And yet through all of it, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, knock, knock. Jesus is at the door. Why? Because he is the I will of God. The I will of God. He is never going to stop pursuing you. He is never going to leave you alone. He is there always drawing on your heart. If you hear my voice, open and I will come in. Can we finally get together, Jesus is saying. Can we finally sit down? Will you let me love you and show you who you are? You know, if God only loved himself, he never would have come into the world as Jesus of Nazareth. Think about it. If God only loved himself, he would have just sent some big angels. And they would have pulled out of their bag swords and clouds and, and uh, locusts and all kinds of things to just show what God's able to do. Just scare the heck out of the world and make sure everybody was was sufficiently rocked back on their heels. The almighty God is almighty. There's none beside him. If God only loved himself, he only loved himself his only concern would be that creation knew who he was and what he was able to do and respond. But God doesn't just love himself. You and I are made in his image and likeness, which means we are a projection 
of his love. We are a design of his love. He is invested in us. You say, that's kind of a bold thing to say. He's invested in us. God is invested in us. Yeah. Of course he is. What do you think Jesus dying on the cross was? If God, that's not God purchasing back his investment. He is invested in us. Why? Because he loves us. When you look at the love of God, you can understand why he is willing to bless you. If you don't see his love, you'll always wonder, well, I don't know if God's really willing to help me. I don't know if he's willing. I mean, look at how I got myself into this mess. Look at what I did. But when we look in the love of God, we see his will. We see so much more than his abilities. God's love is his manifest will. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all of the promises of God. For those of you that have opened the Bible and have read God's promises about opening the eyes of the blind and being with us in trouble and uh, delivering us and lifting us up and giving us peace and comfort and, and causing us to succeed in the endeavors that he leads us in in life. All these fantastic and phenomenal promises. Speak to the mountain. Doubt not in your heart. Believe that the things that you say will come to pass and you'll have what you say. I mean, astounding promises of God. If you, if you want to know if those things are real, the Bible says all of the promises of God are in Jesus. Yes. I hear him saying, I will. Every promise of God, I hear him saying, I will. And I have heard every theological argument argued by people. And I, it breaks my heart because I know those are people who, who somewhere in their own life or in their own experience didn't see a manifestation and have decided they needed to adjust their theology to explain why things didn't go the way they wanted it to go. Even in my life when it seemed like a prayer wasn't answered, my response is every promise of God is still yes and amen. amen. I just jump back on my feet and I make up my mind. Jesus is saying yes to me. He is saying, I will. I will. Somebody say, praise the Lord. You see, God's love is his manifest will. We don't know everything. And in Deuteronomy, the Bible says, the secrets belong to the Lord, but the things that are manifest belong to us. Well, what is manifest? For God so loved the world. If you can take hold of that one thing in this message this morning, God loves me. Not just he loves the world. There are a lot of people who believe, oh sure, I believe God loved the world. I believe Jesus is the um, example that God loved the world, but they don't Bring it home and say, God loves me. God loves me. When you bring it home and you are able to say, he is saying, I will to me, you now have to confront all of the reasons in your own life why you feel that you're not qualified. But uh, Jesus is a wonder worker. He is a soul winner. He is a best friend. 
He is a lover of our soul, the bishop of our soul. He knows how to shepherd people. Hallelujah. And so it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who resides in love resides in God, and God resides in him. I want you to think about that verse. In its simplicity, it is absolutely brilliant. God is love. We have come to know and we believe the love of God. We don't just believe that God in an abstract way loves the world, but He loves you. I believe He loves me. I believe that He cares for me. I believe He was anointed to heal and do good in my life. Hallelujah. In my life. Live in proof. Glory to God. So God is love. And if you reside in love, now God has judgment and God has reproof and God has perfection. He is all those things, those are all parts of his nature, but there's only one thing that the Bible says God is. Remember when he introduced himself to Moses, Moses said, well, what's your name? Who are you? And God said, I am. That was Jesus talking to him. I am that I am. You see, the I am came into the world as the I will. If he's I am, when he comes into the world, he's I will. If he's I am, then he's I will. The I am is I will to me. Hallelujah. And that's his name. So if you reside in love, what are you residing in? You're residing in the I will of God. Think about it. Have you ever seen the, the dynamics uh, in marriage? I'm looking at a bunch of people. Everybody, most people here, have, have either experienced marriage or have seen it. And one of the, one of the uh, extraordinary dynamics of, of a marriage in real love is the way that they know each other. It's almost an unspoken kind of thing. And from the outside, you know, you could see one of them, a spouse, do something dumb to get him or her, herself in trouble. And as an outsider, maybe a friend of the couple or something, you would, you would look at that and they'd say, oh, he's finished. Oh, is she going to get it? He's toast. She's over with. And uh, she'll never trust him again. He'll never talk to her again. And uh, that's the analysis from the outside because you're seeing the sin. You're seeing the flaw. You're, you're saying, oh, if that, if that were me, It'd be over with. But on, the, but on the inside, they are acting towards one another out of knowing the love they have between them. Knowing the love. And so that one spouse just says, well, I, I know my wife. I know my husband. I know my wife. I know, I know what, they, what they are to me. And I know that their answer is, I will. And um, that is the dynamic of love. And so you can, you can attach yourself to God through his judgments. You can attach yourself to God through his correctiveness and his accuracy. But you'll never really know his fullness. You'll never really know the, 
that which he was anointed to impart to us. In fact, I would say that if you don't hear him saying to you, if you don't know that he is speaking to you saying, I will, then you haven't really fully met him. You haven't really fully met Jesus until you let him do things for you. Until you let him give to you and bless you and bring those things into your life. That's, when I hear people testify, what do they always say? What Jesus did for me. How he delivered me. I know he loves me. I know how he cares for me. And so uh, if we abide in love, the Bible says, then we abide in God and God abides in us. And so I want to... uh, I want to share with you this morning in closing the idea that God's will for you is His love. That is His will for you. And so the more you let yourself believe in the love of God and that He loves you, the more you believe that, the more you'll hear Jesus saying to you, I am willing. I am willing. You might come before God in prayer and just feel like, Lord, I just can't imagine how you could forgive me. I just can't see how you would forgive me because, um, not that I'm keeping track, but I think I did this about 17 times last week alone. Um, You know, we withhold from ourselves the willingness of God that is pressing in to us because we don't understand how can he love me with these failings in my life. Because he's not going to give up until his love has won. And his love will win. Jesus is a perpetual rebound. And I don't care how many times you go up and miss the shot. He, he runs the game. It's rigged. I mean, he just says, keep shooting until you make it. Keep shooting until you make it. Jesus came to save that which was lost. He came to love you, and he's never going to stop loving you. And for those that are running away from him, running away from his love, those who are saying, well, I know I should give my life to Jesus, oh, I know I should get saved, the reality is is that you are running away from yourself. You're running away from your only really true life and your only true love. There's There's kind of a weird quality that sin has. Sin within us, whenever we let it work in our life, it always grabs our face and turns it away from the love of God. Sin won't let you think about God's love. Sin won't let you see God's love. It'll surely let you see His judgment. It'll surely let you see the sides of God that'll scare you and keep you from giving your life to Him. Because sin knows that the moment a sinner realizes that there's a home for him, a place for her. In this life, there may not, there, you may run out of places. You may, you may burn all the bridges behind you to the homes that you have. But in Jesus, he's always standing at the door. There's always room for you in his life. Amen. And so... God's will for you is His love for you. The more you let yourself believe that He loves you, the more you will see Jesus saying, I am willing. 
The people that walk with God and just see answers to prayer. Um, and it can almost get a little irritating getting around them. You know, every week you get around them and it's like, oh, let me tell you what the Lord did for me this week. And, you know, and you're thinking, well, we'll see, maybe you need to let God do some things for you. You know, so that the next time you get together for coffee, you'll be able to say, well, hold that thought. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Hallelujah. And so the more you let the Lord say, I am willing, the more you will experience his will. How many of you know the story of the prophet Hosea and his wife, Gomer? If you don't know the story, uh, and for those that don't, very quickly, there was a great prophet of God in the Old Testament about 800 years B.C. And um, his name was Hosea, and the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to take a wife from among the harlots, a loose, uh, a loose woman, and uh, probably a prostitute. And so Hosea said, yeah, and he marries Gomer, and she's probably attractive. She probably, well, never mind, no commentary. <laughs> At any rate, he marries her. I don't know what it was like in the beginning, but shortly after they get married, she is, um, she's not just bored, she's getting irritated, married to this preacher. And, you know, uh, when you don't know what's really going on, it, you get like, I just can't take all this. Really? Church again? How many nights a week do we have to do this? And um, so, you know, Gomer started to stray, and she started leaving and going out and being gone all night, and she started having relationships with all these men. And he would go back after her, and he'd, he'd go looking for her in the streets of the city, and he'd bring her back. And she'd take off. And so as the years went by, this was what their relationship was like. He was married to this woman, and he loved her. She was the woman that would fulfill all of his boyhood dreams that he had of a wonderful holding hands, walking along the beach, and what it'll be like, and looking into one another's eyes, and sharing our lives together. This was it, and she was unfaithful. She, she was not fulfilling his dream, but he still loved her. And he kept pouring his love into her. And, you know, finally one day, I think he probably gets a note or something. And she says, don't come looking for me. I've had it. I can't take it anymore. I'm gone. They've had three children. The last two children, he suspects, might not have even been his. And so she disappears. Time goes by. And uh, he, goes, he goes back out another time looking because he just won't give up. And he finds her on a slave auction block. She's broken down. She's not beautiful anymore. She's been used up, and she's no longer attractive to the men in the town or the city, so she's being sold off for labor as a slave. Don't you know what Hosea does? He buys her. He buys her. He pays the price. He said, come on, can you imagine what she might have felt? I'm going to leave that thought with you. I'm not going to embellish on it, but I can just imagine the conversations, what she must have been thinking. He brings her home, and he starts treating her as his wife again, starts bringing her back to a place of dignity. And eventually, the Bible doesn't tell us what, what the later years were like, but the story is there, open-ended, so that you know that this story has nothing to do with a prophet 
and a prostitute that he married. It has to do with God's love for sinners. And Gomer is essentially, in one way or another, what all of us are, is we tend to go astray in our life. We want to do our own thing. But he never stops loving us, and he always comes. Eventually, Gomer realizes she has one of two choices. Either life out there following this thing in me that keeps telling me I'm going to have a meaningful life out there, and she ends up finally being sold as a slave. That is the deception of sin. When we run from God, that's where we end up. In one way or another, sold as a slave, unwanted. Whether you're a slave to material shackles or whether you are a slave to the cruelty of men or a slave to habits, everybody eventually, that's how the world that's how you end up in the world. But Jesus never stops. He's knocking at the door. And he eventually brings her home and she goes back home. And she, she becomes that woman that uh, is dignified by his love and he cares for her. That's Hosea and Gomer. And I'm going to just slip one other real quick story in and then we'll have, we'll have a little time of response. The prodigal son. Even unsafe people know the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, Jesus told that story of the father had two sons and the younger son said, you know, give me my money now. Give me my inheritance. I don't want to hang around here and, and uh, just take care of the farm and go to church and, and uh, be, or be a member of the family. That's a city's out there, man. And so he takes his money and he goes and of course, it's great fun for a while. You know, money buys you a whole bunch of friends, and he's like the life of the party. But then famine comes, his money's gone. And as time goes by, he ends up just eating the food that the pigs won't eat. He's in the pig pen trying to feed himself. And Scripture says he's sitting there, his life's totally wrecked. And it says he comes to himself. And I pray that you come to yourself today. pray that you will really rise up and... Take an honest assessment. And the prodigal son came to himself, took an assessment. He said, you know, he said, I'm going to go back to my father's house. He said, I know that they've got plenty to eat. I know there's, you know, a shower. I know that there's provision. And maybe my father will let me just be one of his servants. I'll come back home. But as he's approaching the house, Coming down the path, the father bursts through the door and runs out. And he's got a coat in one hand and a nice ring. And he runs, he grabs his son up, hugs him, picks him up, giving him a bear hug, weeping. My son was lost, now he's found. And so the prodigal son has asked the question, if I go home, will, will dad let me back in? Will dad take me back after everything I've done? And with a ring of acceptance, with a coat, and with a giant celebration and a feast, the father said, I will. I will. I will because it's my greatest joy that you've come home. And the Lord is saying to us today, I will. He is reaching out already with the answer to the question, that you may have been asking, even if you haven't asked it yet, does God love me? 
Does God have a place for me in this life? Is there something more? And God's answer is, I will. I am willing. I have more for you. I'd like you to stand with me this morning, and I'd like you to join me. And let's pray. Let's just open our heart, because if, and this, of course, is a rhetorical question, if God in heaven is sitting upon his throne, and if he really is Jesus, who came to this earth and died on the cross, then he loves us. He loves us, and he is willing. He is wanting to speak to us today, and he's wanting us to ask the question, not is God able to help me, but does God want to help me? Lord, do you want to help me? Are you brave enough today to come before God and ask the question, do you want me? Do you want me? Do you want to heal me? Do you want to deliver me? Let's bring those questions before the Lord.